We preview the Big Bash League finals action on the Splash today. It's Wednesday, the 31st of January. It's time for your daily dose of Sporting Agenda. Your audio edition of the Fox Sports homepage. The Splash with your host, Phil Pryor. Welcome in on this Wednesday, straight off the top, joined by the Market Watch uh, team and the NRL engine room uh, of the editorial uh, aspect of Fox Sports Australia, Ben Glover and Nathan Ryan. Welcome in, boys. Thanks, mate. Always a pleasure to be on the splash. I just uh, thought I'd keep you in the podcast bunker uh, off the back of you guys recording your first Market Watch podcast of the year. Of course, we're going to talk cricket with Tom Morris in a moment. Um, But boys, it's been yet another very, very busy off-season of NRL action. Uh, What did you discuss on today's podcast, uh, which everyone should, of course, jump onto iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to your podcast and hit subscribe on the Market Watch podcast. Yeah, uh, we had a bit of a wrap up of the biggest off-season movements and we were joined by Canberra's head of recruitment, Peter Maholland, to discuss some of the, the bigger issues in rugby league recruitment world, um, talking about the salary cap, whether there should be a, a window for uh, player transfers and some of the, the bigger transfer movements that occurred between the 2017 season concluding and we're, we're just around the corner from uh, the new season kicking off. So uh, plenty of, of talking points for the Rugby League fans, BG. Yeah, and Peter's been part of the NRL landscape for the best part of three decades. So you get some fascinating views on sort of the, the transfer system as it is at the moment, some of the flaws in it, um, and, and also just working within a new salary cap. Obviously, the cap went up at the end of last year, and the Raiders have had a few issues with that because they projected... Uh, that the cap would be would land higher than it did. Um, mm. So just sort of how that process unfolded and, and how they've reacted to it since. How has it unfolded, gentlemen? You've covered NRL for quite a while now. Um, uh, in terms of wh- where would you rate this off-season um, in terms of the action that we saw across it uh, compared to previous years? Well, there's been less scandal, I reckon. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the that's first point. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there has been plenty of movement, and I guess that's what the Market Watch podcast is all about. The, uh, the Recruit, cr- Recruitment, retention, and retirement. The, the three, three R's. R's. Exactly right. So uh, in terms of providing us plenty of talking points, there's been no shortage of, of content to get through. And I'm sure that that hasn't finished yet either. As, as we get closer to the new season kicking off, there'll be a handful of other... Uh, movements for this season to to take place and then you throw in the extra factor of players are technically off contract for 2019 and some of those deals are already starting to to get done so it's Mm. going to be a big year for us and you often find that um, by the end of a season that all the big names have been locked up and they're they know their future they've known their futures for six months but this off season we've had Jared Hayne moved to the Eels. We've had Mitchell Pearce move to the Knights. We've had Cooper Cronk move to the Roosters. So it's not just the the quantity, the number of transfers. There's been some really big headlines, some massive names switching clubs. And, and that all goes to make the off-season and, and the season ahead more intriguing because suddenly we see these really big-name players trying to fit into new systems and, and we're making predictions about how that might all work out. And maybe one uh, big... Final domino to fall with uh, Trent Hodkinson and, and his 
links to Manly, of course, still at the Knights currently. He's under in- injury clouds as well, though. Yeah, and, and Nathan has, has got that in his market watch column, which is on foxsports.com.au today, that, um, that Trent Hodkinson um, and the Sharks seem to be getting a little bit closer. Um, Manly were obviously hugely interested, and they have still continued to express interest, but the salary cap issues that are being held over their head at the moment makes, makes doing business really difficult. So um, Hodkinson will want to get something done sooner rather than later. There's only a, a month before the season kicks off. So uh, it looks like the Sharks are kind of in pole position there. Mm, and uh, listening to the Peter Mulholland uh, chat that you just had on the Market Watch podcast, sounds to me like maybe the, the big angle coming out of that is is what is the plan um, with the Raiders in terms of replacing Josh Hodgson in their number nine spot. A little teaser, I'd say. Is that probably the, the, the big angle that uh, that you guys took out of it as well? Yeah, I think partly that. But also, um, he, he spoke quite frankly about the mistakes that the Raiders made um, leading into the 2017 season, having a lighter off-season, uh, releasing a lot of their depth players so there wasn't as much pressure on the, on the ones in the top squad. And, and just... Uh, and and not having any serious trials, they got smacked. They got their bum smacked by Newcastle, um, who ended up getting the wooden spoon in a trial that I remember watching just with my mouth wide open. Mm. Um, and that was the only trial they had last year. So um, that all led into what was a pretty poor season, really, from from what we were expecting of Canberra. So fascinating to hear uh, Mole Holland um, sort of own up on the Raiders' behalf to, to the errors they made and how they intend to have fixed those leading into this season. Very interesting. Make sure you go and check out the Market Watch podcast with Ben Glover, with Nathan Ryan and special guest Peter Mulholland of the Canberra Raiders. Boys, thanks for joining the Splash Off the Top. Good on you, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Time for some headlines. Staying with NRL just for a moment, the pressure has been applied to Broncos star Anthony Milford. Uh, Tigers uh, veteran Benji Marshall extends an olive branch to Bernard Tomic, who has left the celebrity uh, jungle. Uh, On the Fox Sports website, the top five AFLW players heading into uh, the season, which kicks off Friday night. Uh, And we're going to be talking uh, more about Uh, the AFLW season later in the week on the Splash podcast. And plenty going on in cricket. Uh, Yesterday we had the launch of uh, the World T20 tournament in the year 2020, uh, which will be in Australia. Times, venues, all the rest of it announced. Uh, We've also got a match-fixing scandal video on the website and a story it's been titled the most blatant match fi- match fixing ever uh, and of course the build-up to the big bash semi-finals kicking off thursday tomorrow evening uh, so to discuss all this we're joined by uh, cricket journalist uh, based in melbourne and also uh, the freshly appointed senior afl reporter if you don't mind tom morris welcome to the splash <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Thank you for having me and well described. <laughs> Congratulations. Firstly, that's a big gig, replacing the great Jake Nile, who uh, yeah, repl- returns to the age, I believe. Yeah, replacing Jake Nile. Well, doing my best to replace him. He's an experienced footy journo, so I'll just be uh, 
trying to do the best job I can for foxfooty.com.au <laughs> and um, hopefully uh, hopefully do the do everyone proud. Absolutely, and uh, and of course, as we mentioned, um, still pinch hitting as far as cricket is concerned. Yep. Um, still hosting the Fox Cricket Podcast. Uh, go and subscribe yep. to that if you haven't already. Uh, those of you out there listening in, I, I believe you dropped a podcast on Monday with Brett Jeeves and Jake Karoop. Um, yep. I've had a listen to that. Plenty of, of chat uh, regarding our um, Australia's uh, ODI team off the back of a very, very disappointing five-match series against the Poms. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, first of all. What was uh, discussed and, um, and you know, some of the analysis off the back of uh, what was a really disappointing series? Well, I think the overriding uh, outcome from this 4-1 loss to England is how much one-day international cricket has been put to the back burner. We've oh, constantly yeah. said... Um, for a while now that it's like the ugly duckling of the International Cricket Council's Future Tours program. So you've got T20 Cricket, which is the moneymaker, and rightly so. It brings new fans to the game, gets people through the gates, people watch on TV. Test Cricket has the prestige. Um, it has the history, the traditions. And one day cricket's just this sort of stale ham stuck in the middle um, that no one really wants, but no one equally wants to get rid of um, mm. because you still got a World Cup, which is lucrative, once every four years. And the TV rights still sell for plenty of money, especially in the subcontinent. So until Australia starts prioritising it more um, and having their best team playing more often, uh, we're going to struggle. Now, we've still got 18 months till the 2019 World Cup, which is held in the UK, so there's still time. But clearly, since the 2015 World Cup, England has bottomed out and become a really, really good side, along with South Africa and India. And Australia has meandered along, rested players along the way, which you can't blame for blame them for doing in some respects because test cricket is the priority and t20 cricket is the money maker but now you've got a situation where no one really knows where this one day international format is in australia and that extends to the domestic competition as well which is like a pre-season tournament so brett jeeves spoke about that spoke very eloquently about that um and it's certainly something that needs to be looked at because we next play one day international cricket in june against england over in england in a five-match tournament it'd be very interesting to see uh, phil how much we've improved from now until then yeah, and you alluded to uh, the fact that Australia rests players, um, you know, because they're some in in some aspects we're trying to um, prepare ourselves for a, a test tour in South Africa, which kicks off at the start of next month, um, and it, it's just messy. And when when it gets to that point, and and it's like who who is our our one-day captain going forward. Who's our colours captain going forward? Are we are we grooming David Warner to take over that? Who? What is our actual best eleven? Because in an international format, that's what that's the team that we should be putting on the park. It's kind of it's getting to that point where it's a little bit of a joke. Different nations um, prioritise different formats differently. Where is the the tipping point in all this um, scheduling um, monstros- monstrosity, Tom? Yeah, it's a really good word to describe it. And it's, I don't necessarily blame Cricket Australia. Um, yeah, it's not their fault. It's a bigger issue and, and one that, um, in my opinion, uh, needs to come to the fore eventually. Yeah, it's a huge issue. And I think the Future Tours program will be sorted out at least to an extent with the Test Championship and a one-day championship. And each game will have more context, which will allow players to play more. But until they have windows of T20 cricket, which are, uh, select and just that, then you're going to have conflicts. So the mm. IPL is a window at the moment. You'll notice there's no international cricket 
while the IPL is on because it's worth so much. But because India has a, has a has a stranglehold on the ICC. They've got a monopoly over it. And, but you know what? I don't mind that. But then you've got the BBL where there is, yeah. an interna- there is international cricket. So uh, either, either you have to have windows or you don't. And eventually you're gonna, we're going to be seeing what's happened with Chris Lynn and, and probably dozens of West Indian and other players around the world where they choose T20 cricket riches over you know the international game. And who can really blame them? There's so much money involved. Um, the tipping point is probably to the, probably when crowds get below 20,000, um, which is what's almost happening now in one day international cricket. And it's embarrassing for the governing body. It's embarrassing for the cities and it's embarrassing for the players as well because across the road, there's BBL games going where there's 40 or 50,000 people there, which says plenty. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, on the on the Big Bash, uh, you know, tying all this in, I suppose, I, I'm a, a Melbourne Renegades fan and I've watched Aaron Finch depart the team midway through uh, each tournament. They've, uh, this is only the second time that the Renegades will reach the final. So Aaron Finch is kind of the perfect example of this. You've got some franchises who are trying to do... Um, uh, the best by their their better players, and then other ones ignoring these international players that that can't offer their um, you know uh, productivity throughout the the entirety of the tournament. Um, that's what makes it it messy and confusing. Heading into a, a another final series where the Perth, Perth Scorchers seem to perfectly manage um, you know their uh, their international players. With their their local talent as well, uh, they they're hosting the Hurricanes in the opening game tomorrow night, uh, and then on Friday Adelaide host the Melbourne Renegades, and it, it would just be nice if all of the of, of the Australian representative players were all playing in these games, Tom. Yeah, completely, and I think that's what a lot of the fans want. That's what the clubs want for sure, because the clubs try to have rosters which create marketability. So to have marketability, you need mm. good names which potentially could be playing for Australia. Aaron Finch is a great example of that. He's probably worth it even though he's not around for the finals because yeah. people come along to watch him play. And Dave Warner equally, in those earlier years play, uh, marketing himself as part of the – well, the Thunder using him as a, a as a marketing uh, bargaining chip. But I think he only played a handful of games for the yeah. Thunder and that was it. Well, he's the only member of this uh, upcoming T20 Tri-Series squad, which doesn't have a BBL club, which is a bit bizarre. But <laughs> then you've got players like Cameron White, who the Renegades wouldn't have expected to be in the Australian One Names National squad that was selected, and good mm. on him for, for doing so, or for being selected. Um, and that's really hurt the Renegades, just as many other players have been selected, like Richardson and AJ Ty for the Perth Scorchers. Um, oh, putting together a squad's a really difficult one, because you want a good enough squad to make the finals, but then you need a good then you're, keep a good enough squad to win the finals. The Scorchers have done a very, very good job. Their culture is excellent. Uh, but I just, yeah, you'd like to see the best players available for these big domestic games. But until the ICC mandates this window, um, I can't see it happening. Play well, but don't play too well because otherwise you're going to get snatched yeah, exactly. by, the, by the green and gold team. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right, which is a shame. And I'm sure that the players would never say it because they love playing for their country. Yeah. But I'm sure there are players that have played one-day international cricket for Australia this summer and last summer and the summer before who have played in front of small crowds and games that no one's ever going to remember. And they look across and they see huge BBL crowds, less toll on the body and more money. And they think, hang on, what are we actually doing? 
um, and who can blame them for that? Have you had a lot of time to, to sit down and watch much of the the big bash this summer, Tom? Uh, and yeah. can you see a situation where the two dominant home sides, the Scorchers and the Strikers, uh, don't progress to uh, the, the final? Uh, I can't see a situation where the Scorchers lose. I think the Scorchers will beat the Hurricanes nicely over in Perth at the new stadium. Um, I think the Hurricanes would have been an outside chance had Darcy Short had been available, which is what we were just talking about, but he's out. So Tim Payne is coming in for him. Now, Tim Payne's a very good T20 opening batsman, mm. um, but he's not Darcy Short. Darcy Short is the only yeah. player ever to make 500 runs in a in a BBL season, um, and he's done so this year. So wow. he's out. Uh, I can't see the Hurricanes winning that. I can see the Renegades pipping the, uh, pipping the Adelaide Strikers. I still think the Strikers are favourites, but without Travis Head, um, they're missing another couple as well. I... I just think they're a little bit more vulnerable. So uh, Alex Kerr is the other one. So they're missing two of their yeah. best, probably three batsmen. Um, yeah, they're going to be relying a lot on very few. And the Renegades, well, they lose Spence, but they get White back. So mm. that could be a really interesting game. That could be an upset, but no, I think the Scorchers will go through to the final and win the final because they'll get a home one as well. Yeah, and uh, yesterday you were uh, along at the uh, the the launch of the uh, yep. World T20 tournament happening in 2020, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Here in Australia, uh, what what was the what were the major takeaways um, from that launch yesterday? A uh, couple of things, aside from the fact Geelong and uh, Canberra will be hosting um, some women's and men's tournament games, and the, the tournament is standalone, which is important to understand. So they're not running parallel to each other. It's not like the women are hopping on the back of the men or or like an entree to the men. They're actually um, its own standalone tournament, which will be played in February and March 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then later that year. Um, the men are playing a T20 World Cup uh, in October and November. Both finals will be held at the MCG, which is significant for Victorians, but also mm. for women's sport because potentially you could have a crowd of 95,000 watching a women's T20 game. Now, no crowd for any women's team sport has ever exceeded 90,000. That was the 1999 Soccer World Cup between USA and China in the okay. USA. So if they do get above that, number, that would be a really significant moment. The other thing that's important to know is that women's final is on March the 8th, which is International Women's Day. So that's, huh. that's going to be a really, really significant day in 2020. I know it's a long time away, but it's something to look forward to for Australians and probably more so for Victorians and cricket lovers. I, I genuinely have a fit and probably a, a shout out to Melbourne sporting fans as well. But if there's one city that can, uh, that can make that happen, I reckon it is Melbourne. And I've got a, a strong feeling about it. Yeah, oh, it's going to be huge. Um, this world, these World Cups are going to be great for the sport of cricket as well because, I mean, T20 cricket is going to be still extremely popular then, maybe more so than what it is now. And for young girls and young boys to watch girls playing on mainstream TV day in, day out, um, I mean, people, we, we grew up, Phil, and women's cricket wasn't a thing, was it? It mm. wasn't on TV. It wasn't in the newspapers. We sort of knew Belinda Clark and Catherine Fitzpatrick, but it was few and far between. Look at it now. If you're a young girl or young boy growing up now, it's just part of your of your sporting intake, which yeah. is the way it should be. And the same with AFLW and, and the Matildas playing so well. Um, and it's just great that we're able to host a World Cup here and that they've decided to make them standalone events as well. Mm. And, uh, and 2020 cricket is one-day cricket without 60 uh, stale, irrelevant overs. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, T20 cricket, that's why it's so popular because <laughs> there's really no boring, there's no boring period at all. But interesting, the other takeaway from yesterday, Phil, was Steve Smith saying he still wants to be part of this Australian T20 team, which of course he does, but he hasn't played a game 
for Australia in the shortest format since March 2016. Um, and his rec- international record is fair at best, really. He only averaged in the early 20s. Mm. Um, and his strike rate's only about 120 as well. So I know his IPL record's good, but he needs to start playing some games for Australia. And it's no fault of his own, but they need to somehow clear the scheduling windows, what we talk- talked about before, and allow Smith to play a few games for his country so that he can be a walk-up start for this World Cup in a couple of years' time. I remember when Steve Smith was a sixer. That's going back a fair way, though, isn't it? He was captain. He <laughs> yeah. was captain. Yeah, yeah he, he yeah. was a good player. But, um, yeah, he just Very doesn't play any 2020s anymore. No, apart from 14 <laughs> IPL games um, in a little window in that season. He mm. literally – and it's more that we don't see him play IPL games anymore because the IPL isn't televised here. So mm. everything we see is sort of – um, via the internet or in the newsfeed, you've got to be a really passionate cricket fan to follow the IPL closely because there's games and weird teams and weird names all the time. Uh, I, look, Smith's still good enough to be in this team. He's such a superstar batsman, but his one-day form this summer, albeit when he was fatigued, just shows that he's more human than perhaps we thought he was during the Ashes. Mm, and Tommy, I know you've got to take off, but uh, just right. quickly, what can you tell us about this upcoming T20 Tri-Series? <laughs> well, it starts on, what is it, February 3. Um, Australia versus England. Uh, Australia play again at the MCG on February 10. Anyway, so it's between New Zealand, Australia and England. Uh, the final is on, I think, February 20, um, which is a day before day, day before the South, South African tour game, uh, which means that anyone playing in this T20 tri-series can't make that South African tour game. So that's only David Warner. But I like the Australian squad. The New Zealanders have named a very, very strong team as well. They're traditionally good at T20 cricket. Of course, the first international T20 was between New Zealand and Australia, um, and they've just jumped on the back of Brendan McCullum and, and, and Daniel Vittori, who are both very good T20 players and just continued it on. Um, and then England, well, they've, they've got a strong squad as well. We've seen it in the one-day tournament with Jason Roy at the top, um, but mm. Sam Butler we've seen in the IPL, not the IPL, sorry, the BBL, and we've seen him in this one-day series. So I think it's going to be a really, really good um, tournament. I just wish it got a little bit more prominence in the summer. But mm. I've got no, nothing against the best Big Bash players playing in one team. It's sort of like an all-Australian AFL team because these guys have been playing this format now for six weeks. They're used to it. Mm. They're, they've gone into camp. Ricky Ponting's the assistant coach. They're ready to go. Um, I just hope that they can uh, do themselves proud and do themselves justice because they're a really talented group. I love that AFL analogy. Uh <laughs> Hey, speaking of, your Melbourne Demons uh, looking yes. fit. How about that uh, photo of Max Gorn, which is uh, pretty much the highlight of the Fox Sports website yeah. right now, yeah. looking ripped. That must get you uh, going. <laughs> yeah, so to speak. You know, get to be excited. Max Gorn had a really, uh, well, by his own admission, a mediocre 2017. He had an injury, which put him out for, I think, a bad hamstring injury, put him out for three months. But he's back now. If Melbourne are going to play finals, they need Max Gorn to beat his best. He, I think, at his best, along with Nick Natanui, is the best ruckman, all-round ruckman in the competition. Um, and it's great to see him looking in such good shape. I think the Demons are well-placed. Mm. Uh, bit of a headache around Jack Viney and Nathan Jones. There's been some injury whispers around them, but they're both expected to be fit for round one. They've got a talented list. Christian Petrarca's another year older. So I'd be expecting big things from Dees. If they don't play finals, serious questions need to be asked. Yeah, expect AFL season 2018 interest to start ramping ramping up all the pre-season narratives, such as Max Gorn coming back fitter and leaner than ever before. Uh, And Tom Morris is going to be breaking plenty of those stories, as we mentioned. Senior AFL reporter moving forward uh, for 2018 for Fox Sports Australia. And Tom Morris, thank you very much for joining today's Splash. No worries all, Phil. Thank you, mate.
And uh, that'll do us uh, for this edition. Back tomorrow, we're going to talk some uh, AFLW uh, and all the rest, everything else that's happening. Uh, And until next time on The Splash, that's a wrap.